All right. How many excited to be in church? Make some noise. Amen. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I'm so glad that you're here. I think you can tell I'm wearing my shorts by faith this morning. Uh, I got up and there was frost on the ground, and uh, of course that kind of affected me. But I said, no, I do not believe that. And I looked at my, uh, my weather app and it said, it's going to get into the 60s today, or at least tap right in 60, 61. So by faith, we are in spring right now, Chicagoans. Are you at least enjoying the sun? Are you at least enjoying the sun? Amen. I'll take this over two weeks of rain any day. I'll take this over that. Well, it's good to have you guys here. 9 a.m., you guys are showing up strong. Uh, to, uh, the second service is definitely giving you a run for your money now. So let us take the challenges of the empty seats we see and let's fill them up. Amen? Let's see at the end of the year who's got the biggest one. Maybe in 2018, January, I'll give a pizza party to the service that fills up the most chairs and gets it on. If you're new with us, you're at a great time because we're going over the series of the book of Ephesians. We're calling it In Him, and we're literally going verse by verse by verse. And last week I told you guys there's a lot of verses, and it's going to take us some time. I estimated just off the top of my head there was about 50 to 60 verses in the book of Ephesians. I went back home and counted them. How many do you think there are? 50 to 60, raise your hand. 60 to 80, raise your hand. 80 to 100, raise your hand. 100 to 120, raise your hand. 120 to 140, raise Raise your hand. 150 or more, raise your hand. There's 155 verses in the book of Ephesians. Let that sink in. We are on verse number six today. We started in February. Verse number six started in February. We have 149 more to go. God is with us. Amen. The series is called In Him. But every week I'm giving you a message. Today's message is Glorious Grace. And then within the series, I'm giving you mini-series so we can break down the passages. We are now doing it verses 3 through 13, uh, 3 through 14. And if you have study Bibles, as I've recommended you to have, you'll see your study Bible breaks it up the same way. And uh, you'll see the sections a lot of time just written there in your Bible. Just take, for example, this right here. It says, Jesus has risen, then it will go go down a few verses and give you a few nuggies. And let me just show you in Ephesians so you guys can see it as well. These are how uh, I generally will be breaking up my sections as you guys are reading the book of Ephesians. So you see it says right there, spiritual blessings, and it starts in verse 3. And where does it end? It ends right around verse 14. See, that's where we are ending. And then the next one, Thanksgiving and prayer. So we're taking it on little by little, series by series. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, as we learn about God's glorious grace. How many can say grace today? Amen. Grace up in your face. I like it like that. Grace up in your face in the place. Oh, that's a little sun, son. How many like the first song today for worship? Wasn't that exciting? Boy, that will get you to church on time, won't it? That was a new one that they brought out with this new DJ equipment right here. I was made to praise, praise, praise your name. Get your fist pumping for Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. I was talking to the band as we're writing our own songs, and I'm like, we need to write songs like we would listen to. You know what I'm saying? Like not Bon Jovi from 1985, like Jesus, we love you, or some K-Love stuff from like the 90s, you know, soft jams, K-Love, once again telling you the same thing over and over and over again. Now, I know we love K-Love. 
K-Love and Christian Radio, but how many know that's not what you listen to when you choose a style of music? You don't go like, give me 1990s slow jam, you know, like that's not the way it is. So music and worship a lot of times has gotten stuck in the slow jam era of the 90s and 80s. And those of us who have been serving the Lord for a while, you can give me an amen on that, right? Because we need to be relevant. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do in church, amen? Do you know a good church with the name praise in it? They got praise in their name? Metro Praise International, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse 6 is today's message. Let's read it together. One, two, three. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. That's what we'll be talking about today, verse 6. In him, there you see the bigger title of our sermon series, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's what? Grace. Thank you that he lavished on us. I'll have to tap into that verse a little bit because 6 and 7 flow together and you'll see how that works together. Now into verse 8, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under who? Under Christ. See, we're learning this, repeating it every week, getting this chunk of scripture into our hearts, and also I hope you're reading the book of Ephesians every week. It only takes 20 minutes, by the way. Also, audio, you can listen to it. Here's the closing section here. And this is where a lot of the run-on sentence comes. So just follow along. Listen carefully. In him we were chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, nudge your neighbor and say, you also. Come on, nudge them, nudge them. Come on, you also, thank you, were included when you believed, when Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Can I get an amen? You know, oftentimes we get bored with reading the Bible. We think we've heard it all before. There's nothing to learn. I got it, Pastor. Let's go on to the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know. Let's talk about Armageddon. No, 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 I don't think we got all this. I think there's a lot of growing in this passage here. And I think even 14 weeks of me taking these 14 verses is still not enough. Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying to us the concepts that not only will incorporate into every part of your life, but are the very fabric and we could say the atmosphere of heaven and the kingdom of God. So meaning a million years from now. And we're ruling and reigning with Christ. And heaven has come to earth. These are the concepts that you'll be living by. 
that Christ produced a righteousness in you, bought by his blood, that he changed you and rearranged you and made you a new creation, and he marked you in the Holy Spirit to have an intimate relationship with him and an inheritance forever. Those things won't go away. So let's look at this mini-series of our passage in him and remind ourselves this is what we're learning. This is what we should be getting from those verses. The verses that we've already covered, you can see they're important to us, and these lessons are on our app and online if you've missed them. Blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen to be holy and blameless, adoption to sonship. Now remember Paul says, this is why I praise God. This is what I give praise to God the Father for through our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to talk about glorious grace. Everybody say glorious grace. Thank you. Next week, what do you think we'll talk about? Oh, you guys are smart. Okay, moving on. Lavished with wisdom and understanding. Knowing God's mysterious will. Unified with Christ. God's plan. Made to praise God's glory. The gospel. Marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Guaranteed inheritance in God's possession. Somebody say, bring it. Come on, y'all can handle this. Come on, say, bring it, Pastor. I got to get you up at the 9 o'clock. I know you're here, but I need a little bit of uh, encouragement. Here are the definitions of grace. We've already been through a message on grace, if you remember. In verses 1 and 2, Paul says, grace and peace be to you the saints at Ephesus. That's the name of the book, Ephesians, named after the people who live in Ephesus. If I was writing a book to Chicago, who would I call it, or what would I name that book? The... Chicagoans, right? Okay, so we've already been through some of this, and that's great because it builds a foundation because I got to go to a whole nother level. And you've got to go up to grow up, and you've got to grow up to go up. So you can't stay where you are or God's going to throw up. Are you listening? I'm just keeping it real. You say, well, I want to go up to another level, Pastor. Well, you better grow up. And those who grow up get to go up to that other level, right? But if you stay where you are, God's going to throw up. Now you get it. Revelation 3.16. That's what the Bible says. You make him puke when you don't want to grow and act like the way you're supposed to. Now you may say, why would God say I make him puke? Well, you ever seen somebody puke and make a mess? You watch them or a baby puke? It makes you kind of sick watching them be sick. Are you with me? And what God says is watching you do what you do sometimes just makes me sick because I've given you a better life than that. I love you too much to let you stay that way. Amen? So here's grace defined in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament. Does anybody know the original language of the Old Testament? Hebrew, well done. Grace is charis in the Greek. Everybody say charis. Charis in the Greek. And it means God's unmerited favor. It means you can't earn his favor. It's his kindness displayed to us in saving and empowering us to live for Jesus and experience the fullness of his blessings in Christ. A lot of deep theology there. You could spend your life studying grace. Trust me, you won't get bored with it. Here's an acronym, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Do you see that? It's God's riches being poured out to us, but why do we get them? Do we get the riches of God, heaven, a new life, uh, the blessings of the Lord in this world because we're so good, we did all these awesome things? No, we get it at Christ's expense. Jesus didn't die for okay people to become better people. Jesus died for sinners to become saints, for dead people to become alive people. Can I hear an amen? 
Amen. And just another reminder here, when we look at Paul, he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. In those 13 letters, he uses that word charis, grace, a hundred times. How many know that's important to Paul then? You say something a hundred times, you're kind of like wanting you to get something. You want your friend to get it if you tell them a hundred times. Anybody have to repeat things to their friends every now and then? Come on. Repeat things to your kids, your neighbor, your spouse. You understand. And 12 times, 12 times, just in the book of Ephesians. How many times does he do in the book of Ephesians? 12 times. Would you like to see him? Oh, yeah. Here they go. Somebody's like, no. Okay, what are you doing at church then, man? Well, you want me to tell you a joke? You want me to be uh, Nick Cannon up here and bring out some America's Got Talent? How many are ready for that season to start? My kids are just, when does it start? When does it start? We love that show. Right now we're watching Little Big Shots with Steve Harvey, okay? We like those family shows. But here's the deal. You came to church, so I'm going to tell you the 12 times he said it in Ephesians. Because that's the basis of what we need to learn. We need to get it in our hearts. And I'm going to show you oftentimes how we miss it. So let's not act like know-it-alls. Let's not come here with that pride going, man, I got this. I got this. I almost would like to say to you then, then tell me the 12 times he said it, you know. Tell me the 12 lessons you get from those 12 times. Here they are quickly because we have gone through them before. Like I said, he starts off in Ephesians 1, 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see that grace is something we're to pray for others to have. Remember God's favor, his riches, his blessings. We're to pray that for others. That was Paul's prayer for his people. Then you see the two times that we've been through just in the passage that we've read. Don't need to go over it, but just hear that Paul describes it with that adjective, glorious grace. Glorious grace. It's not even just ordinary grace, the kind of grace that you give somebody to expect something back. This is glorious beyond our imagination. And then lastly there at the end in verse 7, remind yourself here of this. It's rich. God is rich in grace. He is not broke in grace. He is not running out of grace going, oh, man, I ain't got none left for you man. Come back, see me Thursday when I get paid. No, God's got enough grace up in your face in this place. Amen. The other famous passage of grace, probably most Christians have heard this. If you're new, memorize this whole passage. Put this in your mind instead of Katy Perry. Uh, Put this in your mind instead of the music you're listening to. This will bless your life. He made us alive with Christ when we were dead in sins. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Somebody say, I'm a trophy of his grace. The end times, forget about all the other stuff, the the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the mark of the beast, the antichrist. You want to know what it's about in the end times? God's grace. God is going to show this place it's all about his grace. Those who don't want it will be taken away from this world, and the rest of us will rule and reign as his trophies of grace in the coming ages that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us at or in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the what of God? It's the what of God? It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here then Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 3, and he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That means God can give you grace to deal with people. How many of y'all need some grace to deal with people? How many need some grace before you go to your job Monday? How many need some grace to go back home today and deal with whoever's in your house? Come on. You need to pray for grace in your marriage, grace with your children, grace with your neighbor. Amen? Neighbors be crazy sometimes. They need grace. Amen? I need grace to deal with. I got some good neighbors now, thankfully. I used to have some crazy ones. 
You know that. I've told that story here. Look at what else he says, Ephesians 3, 7, and 8. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. The word gift there is charisma. It is actually based off the word grace. So what he says is, by the gospel, I've been graced by the grace of God. So I got a grace gift by the grace of God, charisma and charis, right there in those words, that the gospel is for him the grace of God, and he's preaching it by the grace of God. So the gospel is grace, and the preaching of it takes grace. So those of you here today say, man, I'm not good at sharing my faith. I don't have a lot of confidence. God will give you grace to do that as you share the message of grace. And he said he does that by his power. Look at verse 8. Although I'm the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. How many know God can give you grace to preach to your neighbors, to preach to your coworkers? to preach to your family. Ask God for his grace to do his good works. Good works are not done by our own human effort, though they take the cooperation of our effort. We're not robots, so we need to trust God's grace and then love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. One without the other is incomplete. God's grace, without impacting your physical obedience, will remain dormant in your life. And if all you try to do is work your way to impress God and don't accept his grace and give him the glory for it, then you will be found to be prideful. So accept the grace and then put your feet to move and put some pep in your step. Amen? Look at chapter 4, verse 7, going through this quickly. But to each one of us, how many of us? Each one of us has been given grace according as Christ apportioned it. Are you good at anything in life? Do you have passions in life? Do you have giftings in life? Where have all of those good things in your, in your life come from? Where they come from? God's grace, by the grace of God. The man who can make the touchdown, by the grace of God. The one who hits the home run, by the grace of God. The one who treats their family right and loves and works hard for their children, by the grace of God. That is a terminology, as a matter of fact, in the Bible that you'll see quite often that we need to have. It's by the grace of God that I got this promotion. It's by the grace of God. We need to incorporate it into our lives so that people can know it all goes back to him. Look at verse 29, just a few more verses down in uh, chapter 4 there. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building others up as it fits the occasion, that it may give what? Grace to those who hear it. Are the words you're speaking giving grace to others? The, difference of, uh, the, the, the opposite of grace is cursing people out. To not curse them is to bless them and to give them grace. And so sometimes we need to check our words to make sure that we're giving grace to people, even if we need to correct them, even if we're their boss and we need to handle the situation, even if we're parents and we're needing to deal with our children. We need to make sure that our words are not corrupting people, not tearing them apart, but are rather giving them grace to know they can do what God said they can do. And then as it started in Ephesians chapter 1, so it ends here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24, the uh, last verse of the book of Ephesians, which is, uh, there is a last verse. We will get to it one day. Amen. Here it is, a little sneak peek. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So you could basically say the book of Ephesians is a big grace sandwich. Grace at the beginning, grace at the end, and grace all in between and everything in between. It is an amazing book of grace. And that's why Paul called it glorious grace. Everybody say glorious grace. Now let me just give you three reasons today why I believe God's grace is glorious. And then I want to preach at you a little bit. Look at your neighbor say it's just the introduction. 
I'm going as fast as I can to get through this introduction. But once I go back, once I go back to the main screen, so you can follow with me, once I go back to that main screen that has that pretty little triangle there in him, you know I've gone to preaching, okay? So right now I'm still teaching. Check, check this out. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And so what are those three reasons that I believe God spoke to Paul and said, hey, my grace is glorious. My grace is not some average kind of grace. It's a glorious grace. It's these three reasons. It's freely given in Jesus. It's not something that you earn. When you think you earn God's forgiveness, you're missing the whole point of grace. The second reason that it makes it glorious is that it's rich in forgiveness, which means you can continually come back to the grace of God and not only receive forgiveness, but empowerment not to sin anymore. Just go through the Lord's prayer in your mind. What does it say there at first? It says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? How many believe we should do that. That's an important part. But what does it say next? But deliver us from evil, right? So so both of them are a part of grace. Grace brings the forgiveness when I do sin, and then grace empowers me in my hour of temptation not to sin. Do you see how both parts of grace are important? Important. We need the grace to forgive us, and we need the grace to empower us, and it never runs out. You'll never face a sin in your life that God says, I can't forgive that, and you'll never face a temptation that he, can't, that he will say, I can't get you out of that. So it's rich, rich in forgiveness, and then thirdly, it's lavished on us. It's, it's just poured all over us, seeping into every part of our lives, and all we have to do is not resist. So think about this. God is wanting to do a great work in your life that's not initiated by your works. You will have the result of the grace of God in good works, but First, you need his power of grace to lead you into these good works. And so think about it as somebody leading a sheep. As long as the sheep is going with them, they can go into the pasture, and the sheep can have all that the shepherd wants them to have. But the moment the sheep resists, the sheep resists, they don't get all that the shepherd has. And so the Bible says he's lavishing it on us in the sense that when we are humble, when we're obedient to do what he asks us to do, it will always be more than enough. Can I hear an amen. Go with me now to Revelations chapter 5, verse 9. I want you to see it, and then I want to preach to you a little bit before we got to go. Look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. It says, this is a picture of heaven, and you're going to be a part of this picture because this is foretelling. It's going to come in the future. It says, and they sang a new song, and this is what the song lyrics were. This is the new song, okay? How many like to sing songs? Amen? We all like music? Listen to the song of heaven. You will sing this, so start to memorize it now, okay? Get the lyrics in your heart. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. Who do you think the you is here that was slain? What's his name? Jesus. We're talking about singing a song to Jesus. Because you were slain. Now watch this key phrase right here. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. So how was the grace given to us? It was given to us because Jesus purchased it. 
Jesus purchased it on the cross. Why did we need it? Because we were sinners and we were lost. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, we now are in the lineage or the human race, only one race, the human race, and we've all come from Adam and Eve cursed, though we may think it's unfair, but we would have done the same if we were Adam and Eve. Eventually, you know, we would have sinned. Come on. So they are representative. We are under the curse, born into sin. All now as sinners have freely sinned. How many know you have sinned? You've done it all on your own. You might get mad at Adam that you started off a little bit bad, but you have now done enough on your own to earn yourself the judgment of God. Can I hear an amen? Uh, don't be shy tonight or today. Don't, don't be shy because I wish I had a replay of last night of what some of you guys were doing, okay? But we all know we've sinned. But here's the deal. We could not purchase the grace. We could not get the forgiveness. No matter how many good works we did or tried to do, it would never be good enough. Jesus had to do it. And how many are happy Jesus did it for every tribe, language, people, and nation? It's, it's not just for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles. And the world was divided up into those mindsets before Jesus came. The Jew and everybody else. The Jew and not the Jew. There it was. And now through Jesus Christ, it is for every person who accepts Jesus into their life. How many are ready for some good preaching? Amen. Now, my good preaching may not involve a lot of yelling right now, but I want to share with you what God put in my heart about this uh, message of grace because I feel like so often we can miss it. And I want to slow down and I want you to think about this, okay? When you read the Bible, you begin to hear about these characters in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're called the Pharisees. They are of the Jewish lineage of the righteous people who kept the law of God. They're basically Moses' ancestor. They were, they were the heroes of the intertestamental period. Intertestamental. It's a big word, but it's real easy to understand. Before the New Testament was written and after the Old Testament was finished, there was about 400 years of history that happened between that time. In that time, the Pharisees were the heroes. They fought a war, the Maccabean War, against the pagans, and they won. They preserved the traditions of the Jewish people for the honor of Moses and God and what they had been handed down for their ancestors. They then took time to memorize their scriptures and never give themselves back to paganism, which is how they got in that place to begin with when their people kept worshiping the gods of the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And God said, well, you love their gods so much, I'm going to let them take over your nation and rule over you and see how much you like them then. It was those Pharisees who rose up during that time and said, well, we're going to fight against them. We're going to conquer them. And they did. Sadly, they lost another battle and they became conquered by the Romans. But then they said, one thing we will never be conquered by is a mindset of idolatry. We will hold to the things of God. Now you enter into the life of Jesus and we see a different story. These Pharisees are not the heroes anymore. As a matter of fact, even if you just have a little bit of knowledge of the Bible or have watched a movie by Mel Gibson, The Passion of the Christ, you begin to instantly realize these guys are the bad guys. These are the ones who don't like Jesus. They're the ones that keep trying to make Jesus stumble over his words and make Jesus look like, a, like an idiot. They don't like him. They're actually the ones who set him up and bring him to the Romans, change the opinion of the crowd and then call out for his crucifixion. They're those guys. 
So what happened between the time of them being heroes and the time of them being the zero, the traitors, the treacherous, the wicked, the evil? They forgot the message of grace. Now here's the thing. We think we're so much better than them because when we listen to their story through the Bible, we already know where they're wrong, and so we're quick to point out their errors because we know the story. But we never really put ourselves in their position to see if we would have known what they were supposed to know. It's easy to know now you can do these right things with God, but would you have known it then? And so you just look at a few stories of the Pharisees, and some of the most popular that you might have heard is like the woman caught in adultery, right? She's doing something she shouldn't. They grab her out the bed, throw her in front of Jesus. Notice they don't bring the man. It could have been one of them. And now they put Jesus on the spot and say, Jesus, we should stone her to protect the purity of our culture. Moses said we should do it, which was true, And they said, now what do you think? And they did this to embarrass Jesus. And we know what Jesus said. He was without sin, throw the first stone. Jesus showed them that they had forgotten grace. They had forgotten that they themselves had sinned. But we know that now. So we look at them and we're like, man, those idiots, they're throwing down a woman. How, man, how terrible are they? And they're ready to stone somebody. Have you ever even seen a stoning? I've had to actually watch some when I've studied other cultures. It is not a pretty sight. It takes multiple, multiple stones to let people bleed out and die. And they were savages ready to do that. The next thing that we really see them as just the butt of the joke, the idiot, the the you know, the person you don't want to be anything like, is when they're trying to get out of Jesus' golden rule to love your neighbor as themselves, as yourself. And now they go, Well, who's my neighbor? Because they're thinking there is no way that I have to actually care about a Roman. There is no way. These are pagans, these are people who have sex parties, these are the worst of creatures on the earth. That can't be my neighbor. And then Jesus tells a story where basically the culture they hate the most, the Samaritans, which were half Jew and half pagan because their mommies and daddies slept with pagan people of their culture. These half-breeds, as they called them, even dogs, is actually the hero of the story. And the Jewish priests and leaders are the idiots walking by. How many know that story? That's why it's called the Good Samaritan, not the Good Jew. And then we look at just another one, of course, the, the story of Jesus being betrayed and, and, and being sold out by one of his disciples and the Jewish people coming with the Roman soldiers to, to take Jesus and make him look like he is the troublemaker and that he is the one that needs to be dealt with and the punished, he's the lawbreaker, and they make the crowd in popularity hate him to the point where, where uh, Pilate gives the, 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 the call, what do you want? You want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? The Jewish people get them to shout out, Jesus, we want him to be crucified and Barabbas to be let go. But here's the thing. They forgot the glorious grace of God. They had forgotten in their life the story of the Bible told through the Old Testament. And my concern is that we have done the very same thing. And that oftentimes we don't see our need for grace. And really, why there's so many stories of the Pharisees in the Bible, it's not for us to point our fingers at them and go, look at these idiots. We're actually supposed to point at ourselves and go, could I be one of them? When we go to the story of them throwing the woman at Jesus' feet, you know what they're basically saying? 
is there's people that are worse than me that deserve punishment, but I don't deserve it. I wonder if you've ever done that. I wonder if you've ever pointed at people in your life going, well, I know they're a sinner. They deserve hell. What are you going to do with them, God? I wonder if you've ever looked at your sin and said, I'm not that bad because compared to this person, I'm awesome. It's like if you've ever watched The Office. Everybody's better than Meredith, the one with the red hair. Everyone's better than that person. You may go to school with somebody that they all call the dirty girl or the playboy or whatever, and you'll say, well, I didn't sleep with my girlfriend, one girl or one guy with, you know, with your boyfriend. Or whatever. And you say, I'm not that person. I wonder how many times Jesus has tried to get our attention going, well, if you're without sin, why don't you throw the first stone then? I wonder how often we just throw people down at the feet of Jesus all the time and make ourselves look better because we don't understand the glorious grace of God. And then when we look at that story of the good Samaritan where the one that they hated the most becomes the good guy, I wonder if we're able to see that in ourselves when we look across our city, all the different cultures, all the different ages, I wonder if there's people that we tend to pick out and make out to be our enemy and we exalt ourselves above them. But God is saying back, I can use your enemy more than I can use you because you have a prideful heart. So for those who hate the inner city, hate the kids in the gangs, God is saying the gang member becomes the hero of this story because if he'll humble himself, I'll change him and use him to change the world. While you in a tower in Trump Tower building may not have anything that I want to use. And it could be the vice versa. Everybody's looking at the Trump Tower person and saying, I would never be friends with that kind of person. I only want to be friends with the gente. I only want to be friends with this. And God tells a story where the gente is the bad one. But the one living in Trump Tower is the good one. See, I wonder how often we put ourselves in cliques and we decide who's really living for God and who's not. And God sometimes goes, hey, I'm not basing this on who has money and who doesn't. I'm not basing this on what nation you came from. I'm not basing this on what your views are, Republican or Democrat. I'm basing this on your heart to love your neighbor as yourself. Hello, somebody. I wonder if we've ever been like a Pharisee. And then that last one that we would just fully say, we've never done. Like, we've never betrayed Jesus. We would, we would never betray Jesus for popularity. We would never put Jesus under ambitions of men. We would never put anything like a job before Jesus. Oh, maybe we do so. We would never put our ideas of morality above Jesus. I think sometimes we do. See, I wonder how often we are so quick to say, give me Barabbas and you can take Jesus because Barabbas agrees with me. Give me Oprah Winfrey, crucify Jesus because Oprah Winfrey's still sleeping with Stedman, approves homosexuality. She's got the popularity on her side and I want to be successful, so give me Oprah. Throw out Jesus. I wonder how often we say, give me the raise, and I'll give you my Sunday. Give me your friendship, and I'll give you my purity. Give me whatever you offer me that I want, and I'll just cast Jesus and get him out the way real quick. See, I wonder when we look back at the stories of the glorious grace of God, if we're really not the ones we think we are. 
that we're the ones who forget the glorious grace of God. Let me give you this illustration quickly in closing. You will never understand how much you need and appreciate the grace of God until you realize how much of a sinner you are without the grace of God. So just imagine this. You're in the desert visiting friends. They want to take you out there on one of these, uh, you know, these rides where you get into those doom buggies and you're riding around and you're having fun. Let's imagine now it breaks down. You guys are walking. Somebody else comes up to you. They're going to help you. But you've been out there for so long that you, man, are just, you're dehydrated. You're, you just need water. And somebody offers you water. So they go, man, I've seen you guys out here. Here, take some of my water. You drink it, right? You just, you just trust them. Like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to drink it. Now imagine they say to you, you know what I just did? I just gave you poison. And the only way you will be okay is if I give you the antidote right now. Now, first of all, you're like, this is a crazy scenario what horror movies are made out of. But follow me here. And you're like, I, I don't know if I want to take that crazy pill, and I don't know if I'm poisonous. And so what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to now do two things. You're going to first check yourself, do I feel like I've been poisoned? And then the second thing is you're going to see how trustworthy that person is, right? Now, watch this. At first, you may be like, no, I don't want to take the pill because I don't know you and this is crazy and I don't feel like there's anything wrong. But imagine time goes on, your joints start stiffening up, you start frothing at the mouth, now you're laying on the ground. You're like, man, give me that antidote, right? You're at least open to it. See, you didn't see the need. Take out the point of the person poisoning you. I'm trying to come up with an example for you to get this. But you didn't see the need of you needing the cure until you knew you were dying. When you felt you were okay, even though the poison was there, you didn't think you needed it. And so I see us in life going, I don't know if, if I really need a lot of the riches of God's grace. I just need kind of the grace of God, not the riches, not the overwhelming lavish, because you don't see on the inside you're dead. You don't see on the inside that some of the sins you're playing with right now are going to cut you off from God. And you think it's okay, but you don't understand what your real condition is. Let me give you one that would make more sense. Say we have a marriage life group here, right? We have it once a month, and you're married, and you come, and you hear about the marriage life group, and you're like, oh, man, I don't need it. My wife and I, we're doing great. We're doing great. And let's say they come up and talk to you, and they say, hey, do you want to come out with us this month? We're doing this thing, you know, going out, and we're going to do a date night, and then we're going to do some breakout groups about how to handle conflict in your marriage, and we're just going to pray for each other, and it's only going to be a few hours. Come on out. And let's say you just stick up your nose and be like, nah, I'm good. My wife and I, we're good. But let's say your spouse is cheating on you the whole entire time and has been for the last year. Let's say you find out six months later from that date of invitation. You're going to now realize this whole time you were jacked up and you didn't even know it. But now, oh, I'm ready to go to marriage life group because this person's been cheating on me. See, but what did it take? It took you to see how crazy that situation was. And, and though we may not have those extreme things, people poisoning us or our marriage falling apart, but the idea is when we look into our lives and we start being honest with how we line up with the ideal way that God wants us to live, we begin to see we fall in so many ways. And that's when you realize how great the grace of God is. When you look at the world and you see how much it needs the grace of God, you'll preach and share with them the message of the grace of God. When you look at yourself and see how much you need the grace of God, you will do whatever it takes to receive it. And the Bible says you can do it through Jesus. Can I get an amen for that? Would you stand up and give up for Jesus? Come on. How many are happy you came to church? Not for me. Let's give it up for Jesus. 
Band, would you come, please? I want you to see this in closing, that you'll never know how much the grace of God is beautiful and glorious until you see how much you need it. We all need the grace of God. It's locked up, but brother, when you can, bring it to the end. Thank you, gentlemen. Let's just close our eyes in prayer. Father, we thank you for this wonderful time here today. We ask you to show us our need for grace. With every head bowed and eyes closed, how many of you need God's grace in this place? Come on, if that's you right now, would you just raise up your hands as an act of worship and just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your grace. Thank you, Lord. I need your grace. I need your grace. I need your grace. I'm not worried about my neighbor right now. I need your grace. How many need it right now? If you're not a Christian, you need the grace of God to be saved. Think of the illustration that I gave you before. You are literally right now on your way to hell, though you may think everything is awesome, and God's trying to wake you up to say, no, 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 you don't know where you're heading. You're going to go off of a cliff. I'm trying to help you now. Receive it now. If that's you, just say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again on the third day. Be my Lord and Savior. Give me your grace. I, I beg you. Not that I have to, but I want it so bad. I want I plead with you. Give me your grace. I'm desperate, Lord. Keep praying, those who are new Christians. Now, those who are Christians, look at your heart. Are you letting sins get into your life? Are you abusing the grace of God saying, well, you know, I'll be forgiven anyway, so it's cool. But God is saying, you don't see the damage that you're doing. You don't see the problems that you'll face. So I want to cut out those sins right now. If that's you, come on, say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I need that grace again. I need it right now as if it was my first time. Any hindrance to your soul, all sin is a hindrance to your soul, and it will eventually lead to death unless you check it, unless you give it to God in confession, be cleansed by his grace and love. Altar workers, would you come, please? And lastly, think about this. Those who are saved, those who are asking God to forgive them from their sins are praying. And now those of us who say, okay, I kind of got it. Every day I've been living for Jesus. When I mess up, I know to come to him and ask him to forgive me. Let's go to the next level. Come on, let's grow up to go up. Let's pray now that God's grace will deliver us from our temptations this week. God already knows what temptations will be facing you, what issues what in people's lives will be provoking you, maybe to get angry or yell at them. But, but you got to ask God today, deliver me from evil. Deliver me from it. Lead me not into temptation. Everybody's praying right now. Come on, pray. We raise up our hands as a sign of surrender. We're going to sing that song, Capture My Heart, as we close out today. But I don't know about you, but i got to pray a little bit before I sing i got to make it right with God. i got to let him know today I need his grace. His grace is glorious. His grace is glorious. Be saved today. Be cleansed today. Be empowered today by the grace of God. A few more moments. A few more moments right now. What is God speaking to your heart about grace? Go back over those notes in the scriptures this week. Read the book of Ephesians this week. Set your heart on the grace of God. Oh, yes, Lord. A few more moments. Yes, Lord. I sense in my heart, even right now, many of your hearts are transforming. The cure is the grace of God. You're tired of being addicted to things? It's the grace of God. You want to see God empower your relationships? It's the grace of God. 
You want to go into the workplace, your job, your family, where you've been facing trials and go there with joy? It's the grace of God. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. You need to ask today what you need from the Lord. Lord, I need your grace. Let's get ready to sing Captured My Heart. You've captured my heart, and then we'll close out with a dismissal. Would you sing it as some of you are still praying? Jesus. It's all about him today, right? That's what brings us close to him. That's how we know we can trust him. In the story of the poison, it would be the devil poisoning us, but Jesus giving us the cure. Trust Jesus today with your heart. Let the cross show you how much he loves you. Just a few more times before we leave out today. You've captured. You've captured my heart. It's the grace of God today that will change us from the inside out. Yes, Lord. Oh, you've captured. You've captured my heart with your love. Yes, Lord. Amen. Can everybody look up at me, please? I want you to leave out of here with the grace of God. I want you to leave out of here empowered by the grace of God and knowing that you can do all those things he told you to do. So everybody say this with me. I am who God said I am. And by the grace of God, I can do what he said I can do. Come on, say amen and give it up for Jesus. That's our closing prayer today. Amen. Slap your neighbor high five and say, by his grace, amen, you are dismissed. If you need prayer, come on up here. We're here to pray with you. Otherwise, you can worship or we'll see you at life groups. Have a wonderful week. God bless you today. If you need prayer, we're here to hang out and pray with you or just to worship. Woo! Come on!